Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you, as always, is Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. Super stoked to have these guys back. They were here with me last December, and uh, they're always doing something. They're always creating something. They're always uh, evolving. I mean, I guess that's the best way to uh, describe it. And I'm super stoked because I was privy enough last weekend to catch a sneak preview of the film they're here to uh, chat about this evening. And uh, it's really well done. I mean, like, Capturing live audio um, is always hard, but to capture audio during a live concert and have it look and sound good, that shit's tough. And I'm happy to tell you guys that they did, in fact, do just that. And um, it's going to be debuting. There's going to be like a Zoom premiere party. We're going to chat about all the aspects, the history of the call fields once again. Super stoked to talk about 26 Candles tonight with the one and only John Fay and Mr. Brett Talley here live tonight on the Bobcast. How you guys doing? Hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. How are you doing? I like talking to you guys. You know, I really do. Uh, I mean, like, this has been a cool, like, little slot I got going with the shows. Like, it's like a Philly reunion of sorts. Uh, last night was with Seeley, and now I'm here with, you know, members of Ike and, like, just Philly like legends. You know what I mean? Like, we're getting old. You know, but uh, <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> yeah. Like Chris Lee right. and I spent like 20 minutes last night being like, do you remember when we played the great room? And like, it was, like, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, I think Tony Soprano said, um, remember when is the least flattering form of conversation, but you know what? I'm oh, pretty okay. sure none of those goombas were musicians. And when you're a musician, it's <laughs> really hard to turn it off. Do you know what I mean? Like, I agree. it's hard to be like, okay, I won't do this no more. Okay. I'm just going to go get a job and pretend that I didn't have this a massive amount of dopamine, like in my early younger years. And it makes me impassioned to continue to play music. And you guys have continued to do that. And I guess what I was thinking this morning, anytime I have a podcast, like I get in the shower at like six and I think like, what's the first question I'm going to ask? And I guess like it's not so much a question, it's just kind of an observation. You kind of have the same thing going on for you, Mr. John Fay, don't you? You just can't, you can't stop, man. You got I can't walk you away. To, you can't, yeah. but I mean, like I'm here to say, and I'm pretty sure there's lots of people listening who agree with me that we're glad you didn't walk away. Well, I'm glad too. <laughs> I mean, it's um I never I never really thought that I would walk away completely. I just took the longest break of my life for a few years, you know? I mean, I sort of stopped actively playing music in 2017 in order to uh, try to write a book. And, you know, I, I still did things musically and I was never completely out of it because I was teaching as well. But as far as like really being um, active and and, you know, really pursuing creative things, I would say the beginning of this year is when I started to really kind of refocus on that. And it's well, been I'm great. Stoked, dude, that that's happened because I remember in December, like there was, you know, chat about like, I remember Brett, you, you know, joined the call fields and stuff like that. And it's like, I mean, the pandemic definitely like, um, it allowed me to realize like being static as an artist is just not, like there's like this moment in your life because of like um, age or like um, role roles that we play where you're like, well, I guess I should hang up the telly and, you know, not pursue my dream no more because it's just not a good look. But then like I think like to myself, like how old was Charlie Watts? How old is Dave Grohl at night after night chewing gum, losing his voice? There is no age to this. If you can do something well, why not do it? Right. I mean, like. I just I, I like I mean I try to get downtown harvest back together in the year 2020, which is the worst idea possible. But I mean, <laughs> I'm excited to you know I'm excited for you guys first. I mean like this this film, Brett sent me a link and I was able to check it out. First off, 
I said it through the messages, but I'll say it here so everybody can hear it. Uh, proclamation publicly. Very nice job editing, Brett. I really like what you did. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, it's hard to do that, man. And you did that for a long. It's a long duration film. It's a lo long play. So very well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really like the interviews in between. Uh, the interview that got me the most was, uh, I, forgive me because I don't know his name, but it takes place when John starts to talk in like a South Philly accent. <laughs> I forget no, what no, that's, uh, we know exactly yeah, what you're talking that's about. That's actually so good. It's my favorite part of the film. So that's yeah, Sam. But first off, I had no Sammy clue. Sammy the bass player from the Caulfields. That's okay, him. cool. Yeah, uh, I think so, that's I mean, the that part was great. Of the where we're talking about like, uh, were there any nicknames in the Caulfields? Yeah. Every band yeah, has that, though, right? What, hmm? Okay, so when you guys set out to do this, was there always the anticipation that you would release it as a live concert film? Not, not really at first. I mean, it was such a kind of random uh, opportunity that popped up. So we did, we had no intention, you know, we didn't say at the beginning of the year, we're going to put a movie out this year. We had an opportunity to play an event, which, you know, the premise of the movie is that it started out as um, the, the wife of one of the Caulfield's old sound guys contacted me privately wanting either me or the band to do like a private live stream show for our friend Frank's 50th birthday. And so that's how it started. We were going to set up at our bass player's house and play like completely acoustic. Mm -hmm. And that we were going to basically privately Facebook live this to, you know, these people. And they were going to be sitting <laughs> in a rented room at a local pizza parlor in Mullica Hill somewhere. <laughs> and I guess what happened is that Frank, the sound guy slash birthday boy, got wind of this and could not stand <laughs> the idea of watching a band that he really has genuine affection for. And that was one of the things that was like blew me away is like mm -hmm. how much he loves our band, you know, because I mean, we, we've been cordial with him for 25 years, but we, we never really fully understood how deep his love yep. for us go which is awesome and he really credits the caulfields as being the beginning of his career as a sound man um when i shot his interview you know i think i asked one question in the beginning and then for an hour straight he just sat and started talking right from the beginning right up until like the present day like i just sat there i didn't have to say a word and he just told me the whole story about how you know important the caulfields were to him just in his life, like musically, what the music meant to him, but then started his path as, you know, a sound, a sound man to the point where like, you know, he was showing me pictures at his house of him and Sting's private, you know, home studio. Wow. Uh, they were rehearsing for an upcoming album and there he is working the board. And he just says all that became uh, started, you know, you know, work, working with the Caulfields and by doing the party, he got, you know, um, back in touch with some people he hadn't dealt with before with Claire Brothers. And that started up all these conversations again with him. And now he said he feels like he's back in the game. He's wow. looking to do a little bit more um, yeah. with the sound system that he has. And he's, you know, he just says it was just one of those moments. That's in life his where sound system that's in the film, right, Brett? Well, okay. So to, to kind of like finish the... Uh, impetus of why the movie exists. So when Frank hears that we're okay. going to live stream uh, <laughs> and there he's going to be sitting eating a piece of pizza, he puts the kibosh on the whole thing <laughs> essentially, and says, no, 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 no. <laughs> I want to put on a full-blown rock show. Oh, cool. Plans his own birthday party. So he basically <laughs> calls in all these favors from Claire Brothers and essentially puts us in this big you know, black box rehearsal uh, complex in New Jersey with like mm -hmm. a stage. Like, it's basically like when Brett and I walked in, it felt like an empty, like 930 club or electric factory size venue. To me, it looked like that. Yeah. 
yeah. with a stage that big and a monitor board that's like you know 64 channels or something like the, the giantest <laughs> board just for monitors <laughs> on the side of the stage yeah and so and the PA system, which is Claire Brothers PA that he basically called up and they said you know we don't use this one rig anymore if you can come get it you can use it and it's wow it's the same PA that the stones took out <laughs> in like 1995 or something. So that's, awesome. that's what we ended up playing through for this guy's birthday party, which is, you know, as a concept, it's so ridiculous because <laughs> there's like 30 people in the building to, to witness. Yeah, but it looks so awesome but, though. I mean, like it's, it's like the exact opposite. I feel like what you guys did, what nobody was doing during that time. Like most people are like, okay, right. here's my Facebook live camera and I'm going to perform some acoustic songs in my bedroom with less right. than well, adequate lighting. You guys took it to the max and you're using, you say the Rolling Stones sound system from 95. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. ridiculous, right? I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, it did start out exactly like what you just said. We were going to live stream from our bass yeah. player's living room but that's into awesome, your though. private room at the pizza shop. So when we found out that it was going to be like this big thing, um, I think it was Frank who said like, you know, John, you might want to consider like documenting this. And so um, we were already like the Caulfields did have a plan to do like a, like a live stream event from a venue, like back further back uh, during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, we were going to do it at a place in Manion called the Locks at Sona, which is essentially like, <clears throat> you would consider it like a Tin Angel style listening room. And so uh, I'm sure you remember Barb Adams from the Grape yeah. Street sound great, person. Great sound person. So Barb is actually- Spinderella, right? Wasn't that her name on MySpace? Spinderella. Spinderella, all right. Some yes. brain cells still work. And, <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> We we got Barb and um, her brother-in-law Billy Geiger, who you also might know. Actually, so. Um, and um, so they became like the audio-visual capturers <laughs> of the show. So Barb set up a whole Pro Tools rig uh, to get the board audio, and um, Billy set up like a four-camera shoot. And so we did the show. Brett was given all of the raw oh, buddy. film and audio. He had to mix all the audio, had to edit all the film, make all of those. Did you have to get a new uh, like graphic card for that? Like you were, you had so much stuff to edit there. Cause I, yeah, I know. No, luckily um, during quarantine, I had actually gotten myself a, uh, an iMac. Okay, cool. And so okay. I never really, I never really used it. Um, so really, you know, I edited small things of mine here and there, which is, which are um, always great by the way. Thank you. Um, but yeah, this was like the first like major project. Like I just went all in, you know, um, and then I have another, uh, filmmaker friend of mine who had recommended some, you know, hardware to get to kind of just help with the experience, like, you know, the, the correct hard drive when dealing with like video files um yeah you know watched a couple of youtube videos and then i was on I my way <laughs> that's how i figured all this stuff out youtube I, yeah well matter of fact just the, night that we, the the night that we shot a lot of the interviews we did it at this podcast studio out of westchester in this um, place called align space and we walked in and they had a, a green uh green screen wall and when we saw that i was like oh we we need to use that somehow i don't know mm -hmm. what we're gonna do with it but you know, we're going to use it. So like real quick, I had, you know, looked up on YouTube real quick just to make sure how to film properly in front of a green screen. And, yeah. you know, uh, my friend Vin, again, I reached out to him and he told me the right way to do it. And uh, it was great. I sent him like a real quick test um, thing I did. And he looked at it and was like, yeah, man, that looks really good. You should be good. So <clears throat> learned how to do so green screen as well. <laughs> ultra key which I never knew the name until a couple of years ago. I'm like, wow, that's such a yeah, badass name. It's so much better than green screen. Ultra key sounds right. like Ultra an awesome key. band from like the seventies. How <laughs> many, um, so when you got the raw audio, so people who are listening who aren't, you know, audio files, whatever, 
pause it or fast forward 15 seconds, whatever. How many, how many audio tracks did you have to mix with there? Did you have 64? Not a lot. You would be, uh, no, okay, you okay. would be surprised. Um, it was, uh, I mean, did you I'm have like the say... kick separate fr from like, uh, overhead? Oh yeah. Everything, everything was isolated, yeah. but you know, we, I, we didn't get into the like weeds. It wasn't like a high hat mic. It was basically, you know, basic kick snare overhead toms, one guitar, electric, you know, acoustic, John's electric, and then really just three vocals. And that was it. Was there any um, ambient mics? You didn't use any ambient mics like in the room? Yes, there were I two so, ambient yeah. mics that were yeah. uh, that were used on the stage, I believe. And then I think um, there was two in the back as well. That's what I was saying. Uh, yeah, the they're balance kinda, of it. Like, they're in there. They're kind of tucked in there a little bit. Uh, like but the that process part is, like, of like figuring it out. Right, like how to get, that was my thing was when we, I was first mixing it, you know, I, I kept forgetting to add more of the ambient mics because, you know, you, you want a live recording to sound live. Mm -hmm. And I was just so excited that it sounded like the record. Like when I remember when I first mixed Devil's Diary, yep. it sounded so good. I was like, man, this sounds like the record. I'm like, and this is just us live. And I'm like, but, you know, you got to make it sound a little bit more live. So that was putting the room mics in a little bit more. Because when I would when I would first mix the concert footage with the audio I was mixing, it looked good, but it just didn't look gelled because it was such a clean cut record or mix to the the live footage. It didn't look. Oh, real. I know what you mean. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Isn't that weird? So it, it wasn't until I put you know the ambient um, mics in there that when you started to watch the film, like, oh, okay, yeah, it looks like it's one performance. You get the sense that you're in the room. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it really does. Um, it sounds well. I mean, I listened to the JBL cans, and I was like, wow, dude, like, I guess I didn't convey it, like, through, you can't really convey anything through text, man. People, like, question text, like, what does he mean by this? It's like, it's words, dude. You can't tell what somebody's <laughs> expression is in their voice, but I mean, I was just going to ask you guys a question because you're music fans. Like we're talking to, you just said, Brett, like um, you want a live album to sound like a live album. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Kiss's live album like heavily, heavily like dubbed up? Yep. yep. Right. What did they do on that? Like, I think they said like 90% of it, right? It was 90%, like, right? So, I mean, like, like non-Kiss fans, like I, I don't think Kiss, I'm not a huge Kiss fan. I appreciate what they do, whatever. I mean, but like, mm -hmm. um, I think that they didn't get big until the live album, right? The live album is what made them big because it was oh, such kiss a live one. Kiss alive, yeah. yeah. Kiss alive, right? But mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, like once you know you capture, you know, say for instance, your band's got unlimited potential, you got unlimited budget, you capture a great live show, you want to put it out. Do you go back in there and say, hey, let's let's fix up the guitars a little bit? Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen. Say no more. This is not um, <laughs> that we felt like sonically it needed bolstering. But to be honest, there were a couple of mistakes made that were so flagrant that it's not like, oh, nobody's going to notice that. Uh, I, I, so that so had, had to, to be dealt with. Okay. That had so to be you, dealt with. Actually, you know what? Let that be movie magic. I don't want to know what you did because then I'll have to. No, I'm not going to tell nothing. you. I'm not going to tell you which songs <laughs> or who 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 made the clams or anything. But like, <laughs> basically, you know, it had to be dealt with. But but it, but, uh, but in terms of like just like the sounds of the instruments, I mean that it, it's remarkable like how close just our performance is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not like. Brett did a ton of like reamping or anything for the guitars or whatnot. I mean, it was just yeah, the, the yeah, the, everything was pretty much untouched. But what's what's funny is you know we as a band know like where some of the fixing had to be done, and like when we watch it now, it's funny to us. Yeah, because because <laughs> you can see our our you sour can, faces right. <laughs> like on the actual footage. You can that see feeling. one of our faces that we're we're kind of looking at each other like. Ooh, we feel a little lost. Yeah, yeah. something's wrong. Something's amiss. But for those know, people all... out there who, that feeling, do we have a name for that feeling? Do you guys have a name for that on stage when it's like the colossal uh, script? I know in Bangarang, everyone calls it the tally look. That's how they know they've done something. <laughs> See, that's what I'm going for. Right? <laughs> because, do you know uh, what, John? Like when you mess yeah, up. Yeah, I, I, I have a face apparently. 
I don't have a name for it, but but my 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 face is pretty distinctive. Bob. <laughs> do you do you want to hear some crazy guys? Like I've made mistakes, right? I've made you know countless mistakes on stage. Whether it be you can't see where you're playing, you can't see if you're on the eleventh fret, you, you don't know. Numerous times, and sometimes like I remember one time we I I messed up. Um, I was on with Judah Kim and the Assassination, and I messed up the second song. Um, in the meantime, by um, Space Hog, like oh, the bass one, I flubbed the first the first E note. Like, I was like, and then I listened back, and I was like, "Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought." But I mean, like, it was still there, and I remember how I felt that sinking. But that wasn't the worst. The worst was when I was twenty years old, drinking, playing in a bar that I shouldn't have been underage. <laughs> And I was a the whole bar was like watching this like open mic and it was packed and we did Red House and I screwed Red House up major dude like I was on the two when they were on the four and like I just never forget that sinking feeling the cold sweat and like the yeah like the you know the wrestling of the body have you guys ever had a moment outside of um, most recent projects that you recall like that growing up in your youth? Well, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing about it is, like, when when the call fields screw up, we're not on two when everybody's on four. Right. We're on three when everybody's yeah. on four. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's way no. worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know the first story that comes to mind, I remember, this was an Ike show uh, uh, during one of the mistletoe jams. And I remember it was the last song we were doing, Revenge, the Ike song, Revenge. Mm -hmm. And... I started like going nuts at the very end of the song, like, you know, big rock ending symbols going. And I started trying to do this like real sweet lead thing, but yeah. I had noticed that my SG had went so badly out of tune that what I was doing sounded so awful yeah. that I decided to just take the guitar and shove it into the microphone stand as hard as I could. Now this is like the only Gibson electric guitar I owned at the time. And I'm wow. slamming it into the microphone. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, fucking rock and roll. This is amazing. Cause my guitar was out of tune and it was so much fun in the moment. And then I got off stage and realized I completely had fucked up my neck on the guitar. And like uh. two days later, I'm, I'm down blue bond asking them if they can fix it because I didn't like what I was playing on stage and decided to Kurt Cobain the microphone. Yeah, the I did that. I same. I, I threw my bass guitar into a drum set once thinking like Kurt Cobain. Woke up the next morning, hung over <laughs> shit, missing a, like a tuner. And I was like, not Kurt Cobain because I don't feel like going to pay for that right now. But I, right. I yeah, it was an easy Man, fix. It was fun in the moment. Something about like uh, like when the gear goes wrong too. Like uh, I've I've been on stage when the the amp's not working properly and there's nothing I can do because I can't stop it. The, the, you know what right. I mean? Like the uh, I kind of like love that though when I see a band that I I admire mess up and like I, it's like what mm -hmm. I'm looking for constantly. I'm not looking for the perfect show. I'm looking for like the oh shit, <laughs> did we hit the three when we should have been on the six? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like one yeah. of the great amp not working stories happened to Ike when we were doing our EP release at the TLA. Oh, we right. had this big entrance. We were going to come out and get the ch ch crowd clapping and chanting with the drums. <laughs> and we were all going to kick in and we go to do that. And like Sue's bass rig just didn't work. This is like Ugh. opening song. <laughs> so it's what, like, what was the problem? Uh, I forget what it was. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It just wasn't working. Like, Jay had to play this like, you know, drum beat, you know, that, you know, we're supposed to be getting the crowd into it for like two and a half minutes. Yeah, and it was like, oh, it's a really long intro. <laughs> was I there? I might have been there. Am I recalling this? 2000. It would have been 2011. Yeah. 11? Um, years ago. Yeah, I had, I remember one time actually with uh, Barb, uh, uh, what, Sounderella, Sounderella. Uh, <laughs> You know, remember the old grape, like the screen would go up and then like, there they yeah, are, yeah. you know? And like, the, I remember the yeah. screen went up and I was like, and like the drums kick in and like, one, two, three, four. And there's just nothing coming out of the bass amp. And like, <laughs> and, like, I, and like, I remember like looking at everybody thinking like, oh no, because it's me that starts the song. And like, uh, <laughs> but it's funny though, because it's like, I remember those moments more in extreme detail than like the greatest shows ever and it's like I, I as i got older i realized that you know when you're younger you're so uh hard on yourself right like you're like damn it dude like you have the best show 
but you'd be like, damn it, dude. Like, why did I have my SG go out of tune? Right. What, you know what I mean? And like, it's like, I remember mm-hmm. like three, four o'clock in the morning sitting in bed being like, ah, you know, like, why did I, <laughs> but then when I got older, I realized that, oh, that's just all we're doing something that not everybody can do. Right. And when you're doing something that not everybody can do, it doesn't matter if you fail at it. You know what I mean? Like at least people, like that's why music is so sacred. I think to, you know, people, um, because it means more to them than, um, you know, like anything else. Like, I mean, like you go see a movie and like, maybe you like that movie for the next 30 years, but it doesn't have the same effect that a band's music can on the person's soul. You know what I mean? Like it makes, it becomes like their religion in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's something special about music. As I got older, I realized like, oh, I shouldn't be hard on myself because it, people liked what I did. And like, I wasn't liking myself at the time. And I wish that I did because then maybe I would be able to enjoy it more with them in the moment. You know, I was I having totally this discussion. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like get out of your head. Like, it doesn't matter that you were, you know, in drop D, <laughs> you know what I mean? When you should have been in E, but <laughs> these are the things right. as musicians where you're just beating yourself up with. And here's something I'd like to ask you guys too, because it's like, you know, as musicians, um, you're an artist and it's like, it, you have all this emotion that you're, you're um, outputting. Most adults don't really do that. You know what I mean? They don't really, uh, maybe they output their emotion to their families or their therapists, but they don't yeah, have something I mean, intimate. Think- yeah. Like that you're constantly working you're yeah. as, as adults, you know, you're kind of like told that there are only certain ways for you to put your emotion, you know, channel it, you know, and I think that, you know, we're all really lucky to always have, you know, since we were, you know, young adults or teenagers to have had this specific outlet mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. because it's certainly uh, a, a replacement for conventional uh therapeutic techniques yeah. <laughs> in a lot yeah, of ways. it really is um yeah that's the part know. i missed the most was that that feeling of like a great show and like the sweat you know and like the the luster afterwards too like that glow it always happened mm-hmm. at nighttime too which kind of sucked right if you think about it because it's like everyone's going to bed you don't have time to go out and experience right. the joy with others you know like you you're up going. by yourself Yep. But like, okay, so well, I was having this conversation yeah. with some musicians who are like around my age, right? Not going to say their names, throw them under the bus, but whatever. Um, they were like asking me, at a, they're at a party, like, so Bob, like, what was your goal when you were in, you know, the 93.3 WMMR music scene? And I was like, my goal was to play the biggest stage in the world. I had this goal in my head that by the time I was like 32, we would be at Glastonbury or something like that. And like, they all like balked at me and like kind of were like, yeah, that's so unrealistic, man. You know, we're just happy writing music and stuff. I'm just like, guys, like you're not. We have something when you have something that people can enjoy and it brings them happiness. You shouldn't make yourself small. You should make yourself big, like the 26 candle stage. You know what I mean? So everybody can enjoy. <laughs> this is my son right now interrupting the podcast because he knows I was making an interesting point. Come on in, Ty. Say hi. Say hi. <laughs> My friend John. Oh, look at this guy. Hey, buddy, I like your shirt. He says he likes your shirt. Who's on your shirt? Don't say Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's Superman for the people listening. Who is it? Superman. Uh, Superman. All right, I'll talk to you after the podcast, bud. <laughs> oh, you found the remote. Thank you. Under- Everybody back home. I want, or excuse me, out there listening. We found the remote. It's been gone for two and a half weeks here in the back room. And that's a good thing. Wow. What was my previous thought? My pre- Oh, you were talking yeah, about like being- uh, not uh, making yourself small, you know, yeah. and actually like letting your, you know, letting your dreams kind of be as big as you want them to be. Yeah. And I think that that's no? like a, a drawback in our society, especially amongst our creative types where it's like, oh, he's, he's getting too big. It's like, don't you want to get big? I mean, like when you were a kid, mm-hmm. And you had your posters in your room. You, I, I remember watching MTV thinking like, that's going to be me one day, without a doubt. And I got, you know, a taste of it without a doubt. But like, you want to, like, any, I don't think anybody goes to college and like gets the degree and comes out and says, well, I'll just get a minimum wage job at Giant and everything's going to be okay. You don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. I think it's very, um, it's tough for artists too, because it's like, I think that our specific market 
It's like you can do you can put in all the work, man. You could do it for a lifetime to make all the right moves. But it's a very luck of the draw type thing. Whereas if you go to school for accounting, you get a degree. Guess what? You're probably going to get a job and you're going to be successful. Right. You know, like musicians, it's such a small window. And I think that a lot of times it all comes down to geographical locations, to be honest with you. Liverpool, Seattle, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, you know, like. So I think that, you know, anybody who's a musician, they should make themselves heard and like play as loud as you can. And don't be afraid to let your freak flag fly. You know, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. Like, I think, you know, I mean, for me and Brett and I use this uh, mantra all the time, you know, like. I want to, you know, I mean, you talk about like letting your your dreams be their dreams, you know, like I've done a lot of soul searching in recent years as to what truly makes me happy. And it's like, you know, creating things together with people I love, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's like the number one thing. And so the more stuff I can do with people like Brett and all the other people I'm lucky enough to collaborate with, like that's, that's what the bigness is for me, you know, like it could be on a big stage for sure. And I love that, you know, and I love the fact that we took this idea, you know, to like, document this ridiculously you know what was the word ostentatious ostentatious gig uh that we had the opportunity to do and we're embracing it and we you know took it as far as like making a feature length movie out of it you know yeah but at the core of it it's you know the mantra is we're not getting any younger (laughs) and what that is is like it's a motivator to like keep creating and do as many things as you can with the time that you're allowed to be here doing things. Amen. That's yeah. what I, I also really think, that, think. Like guys, like we, we made, like, I know that I made a stigma in my head, like, Oh, I'm too old for the, like, I don't think that that's the case no more, especially with like what happened to us in the last couple of years. It's like, we're alive. We should create, you know? And like, I Absolutely. totally identify with like what you're saying right there. It's like, I love when, I'm creating something like that's it. Like just anything, like even if I come home and like, I'm going to like learn a new line or something like, it's just fun. And like when other people are around, that's a, that's the best dude, you know, it's the best when you get people excited about creation. Cause it's like, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty good uh, indicator of what separates us from the animals is that we love to create stuff. (laughs) I was just going to say, I feel like, any form of creativity that a person has, like that's the essence of that person, you know? Cause like, you know, I have a nine to five job and I work with like a hundred plus people, but we're all going to the same building in essence, kind of doing all the same thing. You know, then I take the train home with all these people that commute every day. Like we're all doing the same thing, but like, I'm not saying me specifically, but you know, what makes me unique out of these people is what I create with my art, you know, whether it yeah. be video stuff or music or whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be um, just or that, you know, scaring somebody on Halloween with a just someone like <laughs> Yes, yeah. you're yeah, right. You're yeah. eliciting a feeling in somebody. Yeah, making people um, feel alive. I'm in the business right. of making people feel alive. I've been told that I make people feel um, uh, like, I guess I could, yeah, my next door neighbor just moved in a couple of weeks ago and came over to imbibe one night and, you know, one thing led to another. And the next thing you know, he's talking in tongues and he blamed it on me the, the following week. He was like, I, I just want to let you know, I just, I, I, uh, I usually don't uh, act that way. And I'm like, it's cool, bro. Like you were fun. And he's like, it's your fault though. Cause you got me high. And I was like, yeah, but you know what, dude, like, I'd like to see the real you, you know, I think a lot of times, I mean, I'm not saying the real you needs to come from using drugs and alcohol, but I'm saying a lot of times people mm-hmm. aren't the real you in front of us. You know what I mean? Like I tried to like, I, a couple of like, years ago, I was like, anything I post on Instagram, I wanted to make sure that it's not like, um, you know, like it's me. It's, I love my, love my grandma. I love music. I love this. And it's like, I think a lot of us, we don't do that. And I think that you guys have always been like real ass motherfuckers from Philadelphia that could like, control a crowd you know like i mean going back to the early days of seeing you guys with that billboard i think that billboard still 
is the coolest thing ever to me. I was like, <laughs> it says, I, like, I know those guys. It's on 76. And I was a young man, but it, there's something to be said about not just what you did with the Caulfields, but, you know, all the iterations of bands that you guys have been in over the years. It's like a bountiful, like, you have so much output, you know, like mm-hmm. that when, you know, the time comes, it'll be easy for people to look back on your legacies and just be like, damn, dude, look at these guys. You know what I mean? It did evolve. It kept going, you know? And like, I remember hearing that tagline. It's correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's always keeps evolving, right? It keeps evolving. Yep. It keeps evolving. And And you know, the thing is like, I always feel like if I'm, you know, getting back to what you said about like the whole age thing, I mean, dude, I'm going to be, fucking you know this is my sammy hagar here <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean like what's what's, like, what's what's turned the clock though real quick though it may be your sammy hagar year but if correct me if i'm wrong because i've seen some photographs you seem to be aging in reverse <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i can assure you that's not true but i will say this i mean i i in all honesty i feel that the way that i've lived my life my creative life particularly that's gone a long way toward keeping me in whatever you know state of youthfulness i might be in yes yeah, you know very what good i mean point. like it's mm-hmm. it's honestly the reason because i can safely say that i'm you know whatever challenges i have and there have been many um because i'm actually doing with my life, what I always wanted to do, there's, there's no peace of mind quite like that. You know, there is no, there is none. And like, you know, Mr. Tally over there, I mean, like I'm waiting for the Amityville script to pop, dude. Like, I know you got this in you. I've saw the film. This guy's a storyteller. I, if I was him, I, I would quit tomorrow your job and just, you know, I know you can't well, do it, but I know, but it, it's did, you, did you ever write it, dude? Did you ever write the, the, the that, pilot script for the people out there oh, uh, he, he for, has this uh, idea that's brilliant oh Universal. my jaws my jaws prequel yeah um yeah i wrote half of what would be a pilot script and you want to know what turned me off i got halfway through it and realized i didn't know anything about boating and boating <laughs> regulations and i was it's like hard, yeah. oh, it's hard. You know, i can't i can't write a story about, you know, zoning regulations, whatever that means in, you know, fishing towns mm-hmm. when I have no idea what it means. So I kind of stopped and my whole game was going to be, oh, I'm going to research, you know, what it's like to be a, a fisherman. And then I realized real quick that I could not relate to that. And it, it just went by the wayside. But I'll this tell you what, every so- time I tell, the peop- I tell people my idea about it, mm-hmm. everyone always seems for it. But- Dude, for, first off, following Quint, and is like mm-hmm. Quint right after he gets back from the military, excuse me, the um, yeah, the military survives yeah. mm-hmm. the Indianapolis. And like the first yeah. time that he goes out on the Orca is the pilot episode. Like, oh, yeah, up, I dude. had a whole thing. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my know, son I, right I, now is obsessed with Jaws. So we're obsessed with Jaws. I've, I've always been. Yeah, I finally got my son obsessed with it, too. It's the best. But, I, yeah, show, I, mean, I show him the rides. I'm at a point now, like after after like editing the movie was all done. And it was like John was saying, like, I, I'll be 41 in December. And I just now I'm realizing how much I really love to, like, do that kind of stuff. And I'm already yep. thinking, like, you know, what could I film? And I went out and got myself, like, a real nice cinema camera. Nice. And, you know, lighting. And, you know, and I have it sitting with me. And I've been watching all these tutorials on, like, how to use it. But the thing is, like, I just don't know what to film. And. So well, how about I how about I write I think a 10, 15 minute like short story that we could film and we yeah, collaborate? Absolutely. Let's do That's that. what I'm looking right. for. I'm, I'm at all about I, that. I have a bunch of ideas, but now I'm at a point where it's like, okay, well, I don't really know actors and how do I go about finding people to do this? And so like right now we, we can my, do it. We can do it. Like, people are listening yeah, right now, they probably short. do it. I definitely want to do some kind of short, but you know, I'm not getting any younger. And now that I have the technology to do this. And, you know, I learned a little bit more about it. You know, that's why making the movie was meant so much to me because, like, I learned so much about editing and lighting, um, you know, and software, stuff that I never really knew about. And it's one of those things where I wish I would have knew it 
when I was younger because I could have utilized it a lot more in a lot of different scenarios. But now I just feel like I want to make up for lost time, you know? Um, you, you are, though. So yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not going to stop. But I'm definitely, I would love to make like an actual like short film or um, uh, I don't even know, like a, like a, like a little small like horror story or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, you I mean, know, to be honest with you, with feasible. making the movie, I had a lot of fun like doing the interviews and, you know, just listening to people tell stories. Like I've been saying it to everyone about the, when it comes to 26 Scandals was, my favorite part was just going through all the footage and like just hearing the stories and then finding like, you know, story arcs, of, you know, and it really came down to these three guys are, are just really good friends and have like a really great and offensive sense of humor. That's fun. And like watching that and like trying to tell that story of like these three guys that are friends and like have been through some, you know, pretty fun and also serious mm -hmm. shit. That to me was like really fun. And like I said, when I sat down with um, our friend Frank, whose party it was, and he just talked for an hour, I was like just mesmerized by his entire story. And I, I the movie could have just been him telling the story of like, how his life came <laughs> yeah. to be where it's at from the call fields. And it could have just been me sitting, talking to these guys, getting different stories, you know? So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And it's something well, I definitely you know, I, I identify with you guys because you guys are workers too. And like, you, like, you know, Brett's um, solo album came out in 2022 as well, you know? So like, you're always busy, man. You know what I mean? You always got something going on in that basement. It's like, yeah, I'm the man. same way. Oh, yeah. where it's like if I don't have like three or four things like that I'm cooking with, like I just, yep. I mean, I just yep. started writing again after taking a year off, and like it was the best thing I ever did. Was just like, okay, I'm getting away from the. Um, I've been doing the screenplay writing since 2011, and like getting close a couple times, and like getting disenfranchised, and like I was writing for Hollywood and not writing for myself, and like I'm writing something right now where like I I can't wait till everyone goes to bed so I can like open my laptop up and like you know <laughs> be like that dude like remember that like at the end of like tv shows in the 80s like they go to like this room it was a production company be some guy with a mustache smoking a cigarette throwing like a piece of paper in the air that's me mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. but yeah you guys just keep you, you keep um doing stuff i mean i really thought the film was well done i'm excited for people to um after it premieres on zoom are they going to be able to download it or uh, will it be on uh, we're actually looking into an Amazon situation okay, that, cool. so that we can have it on streaming. But we actually, um, we printed up uh, these DVD, CD, double disc sets that we started oh, selling nice. at our show last week, and they've moved pretty well. So we'll probably have those available on uh, yeah. on my website for a while as well. Yeah, the, yeah, the I, Zoom streaming on Wednesday is where, um, you know, people that couldn't attend the premiere down in Dewey can like really watch it. And I, I kind of put a thing on Facebook today. If anyone's like, you know, really interested in seeing the movie, like the Zoom screening as of right now is like your best place to do it. And then also, you know, we're going to do a Q&A afterwards. So, oh, you know, cool. it's well it's well worth it because as of right now, getting the movie on Amazon is it seems to be fairly easy, but it's an undertaking in terms of like the specific details that Amazon requires. Oh, I know yeah, that's probably about that. time. Yeah. Like we've been looking into that and, you know, I never knew that it's free to put a like an independent film on Amazon, but it just has to be to the, like their exact specifications. And I think that's probably going to be a hurdle at first, just to make sure we have, but well, if Wednesday, you need help with it, let me know. I'll, I'll be more than happy to help you guys out with that. Cause okay. I'm an export, uh, master with the right they, they yeah, want you to true. put it into um let me think of is it ntsc format with um yeah something i, I mean i didn't really get to in the weeds with it yet um i hope you guys yeah, out. no problem something like that oh that'd be great thanks man totally totally man I, I enjoy that's the other thing too is like when i got older i realized how much i like to help people and like they'd be like what can i do for you and i'm like nothing and then just disappear into the darkness you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, I'm like the out, altruistic vigilante, you know what I mean? Like, you right. help with them bags, man. And like, like you're like, I'll put the bags in like her trunk and shit. And she'll turn around like, thank you. So I've been gone. I've already left. <laughs> altruistic <laughs> vigilante. I love that. Yeah. That's I just great. think that the world needs more of that. And I think that, um, yeah. I just think that people aren't nice to each other, man. I really think that means a lot is like how you treat people it's like duh yeah. you know what i mean like it's, yeah, it's literally the major problem in our world and society is that we don't 
treat each other with the same kindness we have towards one another as we go to bed at night. Like you're kind to yourself. Uh, I'm going to rest now. Like we're just mean to people. And it's like, I don't know. I, I just got done this job uh, and I was working with people who just love to rib each other like every moment of the day. And yep. it's just like, I'm a sensitive artistic type dude who's like not into that. And like, you know, like, uh, that's really, man. well, don't hang out with the coffee. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> well, the coffee. Right <laughs> my, my band had the same thing though. Like we, we wouldn't, uh, it, it was like, yeah, we would like, you know, make fun of each other, but we loved each other. And that's a different type of right. thing though, completely. Especially like when you're sleeping in like a, a, <laughs> a queen size bed with your drummer and he doesn't take off his socks. You know him better than most. You know what I mean? Like um, you just do. And it's like, that's the thing that's so cool about bands. You know, you gave me an idea. I wrote it down earlier at the beginning of the podcast. And it's like, there's never been a story about a sound guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be great. That Wait, would be a great documentary. If the think of how many sound people we know from Philly who could oh, be subjects god. of that man. Oh my god, dude! Think about like if it, you span it into a miniseries and it's like the biggest sound. You know what I mean? Like who does the sound at Red Rocks? Who does the sound at MSG? Like, right. And who you are know these what? people? <laughs> you know, like, after uh, after high school, I went to a recording arts program that was mm-hmm. funded by Boys to Men, and. Um, we had the bulk of our classes out of Sigma Sound down in Center City. Oh, wow. And um, the the engineer who taught our class was like one of the head engineers at Sigma and had worked on so many incredible records. And then, you know, the studio got bought out and they laid everybody off that worked there. And I never found out what happened to him. And one night I went to a show on Gerard Ave at the fire and here he was the sound guy. Wow. At the fire, and it was just in the back corner in the dark with a small mixing console. And I'm like, wow, nobody knows that this guy has like worked with David Bowie and Bob Dylan, huh. and was you know. So right there, you're on to something. You know, that would be. You guys want to be producers on the show with me? We call yeah, it Sound there we Guy. Go. Yeah, Sound Guy coming 2024. <laughs> sound Guy. Sound <laughs> because guy. also too, the story could have like both aspects of it, Brett. Like. There's really great sound men, but as we all know in this podcast lounge, there's really bad ones too. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like the ones who take out like what their mother did to them 20 years ago on you <laughs> at Arlene's Grocery in New York City in the year 2004. I think we still have a photograph of uh, when we played at like Slippery Rock University in 2008 oh, yeah. or something. Yep. And the, like there's a picture of like our sound guy like literally napping on the Falling edge asleep on the board. of the console. <laughs> Oh my like, god! So we got video of it too. Yeah, that was for the <laughs> opening bad. band. So we were like, "Oh boy, here we go." <laughs> See, now we already have footage for her show. We've already got That's some right. assets. We've got um, archival sound man footage. But I, I had a sound guy, and I can say this guy's name. His name is Jay Maselli, and I uh, went on tour with a band called Brother from Australia in 2004, and I filmed them similar to what you did, Brett, in a way, mm-hmm. interviews and stuff with like live stuff and music videos. And Jay was the sound guy on that tour. And Jay was the first sound guy that I ever met that I observed and like watched because he was that good. The details mm-hmm. of like what he would do night after night, like he would clean the microphones with Listerine. You know what I mean? Like he would make it like, you know, special. And like we would be playing like, you know, big uh, concert venues and in other nights, small places. And every time it sounded exactly the same. And I was like, how did you do that, dude? How did you? And he, he just looked at me and be like, it's all about the kick. <laughs> That's all he would say. <laughs> he would just look at me in the eye, dead. He'd be like, kick. And like, you know, it is the truth. The kick drum sounds like, you know, well, yeah. uh, somebody in a submarine trying to get out. It ain't great. But if it sounds like, you know, King mm-hmm. Kong coming through the, you know, the gates, it makes yeah, the concert that much better. The yeah. kick drum is always the first thing I notice when I go to see a concert. Same, dude. <laughs> To the point where I remember I saw the Deftones at the Electric Factory um, years ago, and we were on the balcony, and the kick drum sounded incredible to me. And I had to go down and ask the sound guy (laughs) what microphone he was using on the kick. And you would have thought, you know, I had given him a present or something on like Christmas. Like he was so excited and 
<laughs> told me what microphone it was and actually went on eBay with me right there and found like the cheapest one. And I bought it right there at the electric factory. <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. You bought it. Yeah. <laughs> During the concert, bought it right the there. And then he actually <laughs> grabbed my phone and like went to eBay and he's like, oh, here you go, man. Here's one for like 60 bucks. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Wow. Man, that was a $60 mic. That... See, that's the thing too, is like about technology. Like I've had like super expensive amps. I've had super expensive pedals, but some of the cheap stuff, like I had a Behringer preamp. Love that thing, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody like these things are crap. I'm like, I can make it sound good. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a broke ass musician. I got to make it sound good. I got to make it work. Um, <laughs> you guys definitely made it work again. Once again, congratulations. I love you guys coming back on the show. I believe Brett, you, you probably got the lead on all the guests and I've only met you in life a couple of times, but having both <laughs> you guys back on the show, I think maybe three or four, I can't even recall, but I, I'm going to stop counting because I'm just going to keep inviting you over and over again until we're both or all of us are old men. And we're just like looking back <laughs> at our lives like, damn, look at all this stuff, dude. Remember, hey, you know, like, yeah, we love coming on, though, man. Yeah, I love, love it, man. Love I'm, it, you guys, I'm an avid listener. You guys got to really, have back on so we can talk the new Halloween film. Dude, we can talk about it right now because you know what? I'll talk about it for, for like a minute or two. OK, first off. <laughs> When you sent me the photograph, I read, read about this on Reddit. And for the spo spoilers out there, whatever, you know, click off, go listen to Rogan. Um, they brought back, uh, like, my favorite character of, of, like, all time, Dr. Loomis. And I guess it's CGI. And I guess the thing that's exciting me the most, Brett, is that we finally get to see what the hell happened when he fell off that rooftop. Yeah, right. In 19, you know. I had read early... I remember like early when they were in production, I had read a couple articles saying that there was a, a flashback scene that took place and like anyone who worked on the movie raved about how the flashback scene was going to satisfy all the fans because like the attention to detail um, mm -hmm. and like recreating certain scenes from like different angles. And oh, I can't wait I mean, to see that. Yeah. So, and what the other thing was the, the script, I believe leaked online and I couldn't help myself and read it. And oh, you did. Damn, <laughs> I did. I have no patience. I, yeah, I could die tomorrow. I mean, I'm not getting any younger. You know what I'm saying? I know um, yeah. But uh, yeah, this, I would. This, I mean, the new trailer that came out today pretty much confirmed to me that the script I read was real. <laughs> yeah. So if that's the I, case, it's pretty good. I'm looking forward to that in a second. And um, this episode is airing uh, on Wednesday. So if you're listening to this podcast, I need you to do me a favor, okay? I need you to go on Facebook. I need you to check out the event. I'll put a link in the podcast down below here. Make sure you say you're going. It starts at 7 p.m. You get to watch the concert. You get to have some questions with the band. What does he want? You know what I mean? What does he want to do on Wednesday? There's not really much going on. There's Wing It Wednesday at the Boathouse, but you can't get a seat. So watch the call. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you guys both on the show again. Thanks a lot, Bob. Thanks, Bob. My name is Bob, and this has been another episode of...